0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martini's coming up. We're so glad you could join us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Brought to you by a brand new sponsor today, Coastal. How would you like to get 50% off your first pair of glasses? You can do it at Coastal.com martini until October 31st. We'll talk about that a little bit more A little bit later in the podcast. So Jim, the good martini is that we're probably within either hours or at least a day or so of Joe Biden finally announcing his running mate, which we know is going to be a woman. The New York Times is out with a story today about how it's really All the work's done. It's in Biden's hands now. They've put together rollout plans for multiple different options here. We do have the speaking schedule of sorts for the Democratic Convention next week. And the only one on the VP speculation list who doesn't already have a speaking slot appears to be Susan Rice. So a lot of people uh, speculating that she is going to be the choice. Of course. could be somebody who's already on the schedule, we don't know, but uh, after years past of Paul Ryan sneaking out his back door through the woods and people charting private planes going from one spot to another, there's usually a little bit of cloak and dagger here, so it might not be that simple, but but maybe it is. Uh, you and I both said of the, of the short list last week that it probably makes the most sense for him to pick Susan Rice, although we're gonna have a lot of problems with her in that role, and especially if she becomes president, but uh, as you said in our, pre-podcast email exchange. Jim, we can now go from the speculation to dreading who might replace Joe Biden as president less than four years after he's elected, if he's elected.
1: Yeah. And uh, I mentioned earlier in the week, this is a little on the late side for uh, Biden, not enormously. I I don't think you worry about it until you get towards the end of August, but uh, it's a little later than you usually see in a selection. And I think probably what makes it seem like this selection process has been going on forever is that Look, this race pretty much ended in mid-March as the pandemic was hitting, that uh, Biden pretty much put Bernie Sanders to bed and uh, the race was over. But you could kind of go back to, you know, February and the South Carolina result, uh, Super Tuesday. I mean, you know, Joe Biden accelerated into the lead position pretty darn fast and more or less in part because of a whole bunch of factors, including the pandemic this race has kind of been trapped in amber, uh, that there just hasn't been enormous amount of change there. The biggest decision Joe Biden is going to make between now and election day is this vice presidential selection. Is this probably, is this going to, you know, alter the outcome? Probably not by itself, but you know, this possibility he could do himself some harm. I guess there's possibility he could do himself some good, but I'll be honest. I don't feel like anybody who's been thrown out there really does. Um, Reassure, you know, it's a situation where the first th- philosophy is do no harm. And most of the people he's selecting are, you know, re- are, ge- are women and are generally different from him, are generally considered to be more progressive than he is. And so, this notion of balancing the ticket, you end up in a situation where somebody wins the nomination and they say, the single most important thing for the person who would take over for me, if God forbid something happened to me, is for this person to be as different from me as possible. It kind of undermines all your arguments about why you're the right person and why the traits you have are, are so important. Um, I feel like it's kind of gone on forever. I think it's been kind of ridiculous to watch. I think you should pick the best person. And if the best person happens to be a woman, terrific. If the best person happens to be a man, fine. You know, Biden really hemmed himself in. Uh, as soon as the George Floyd protests caught fire, I meant metaphorically, although I guess in some cases, literally. Uh, you had a situation where there was a great pressure to select an African-American. So now you have to basically consider every African-American woman in the party and people who are well, Karen Bass, who had not been you know, widely speculated or named is, is on the list. Um, I think you, in the last week or two, you've seen the tone of the coverage of the selection process change, in part because people realize, hey, it's getting late. We're, we're not going to have anything resembling a traditional convention. What is going on with this decision? Probably, there's fears amongst Democrats that there's a little bit of dissension in the ranks of the Biden advisors. We had that, you know, much uh, that uh, story that Chris Dodd had leaked about how he saw no remorse in Kamala Harris and saw that as a problematic aspect of her personality in the selection process. We don't know how it's going to shake out. It will hopefully be done, and then we can get on to actually discussing something. And by the way, I think the scrutiny on the pick is going to be enormous, in part because you're picking somebody who could well be the 47th president of the United States. Uh, You know, people don't know how long Joe Biden's going to be around. There's a really kind of, you know, fascinating poll out from Rasmussen Reports uh, that said that 59% of likely U.S. voters think it's unlikely Biden will be uh, serving a full four-year term. I don't think that's them being morbid or, or you, know, uh, uh, you know, uncharitable. Look, Biden's up there in years and he's not looking as sharp as he used to. And this is the toughest job of the world. This doesn't seem crazily unthinkable. So I'm glad that this process will go from speculating and could it be this person, could it be that person, to a concrete choice and an analysis of a particular person, not, you know, four or five different options, some of which people haven't really heard of very much like Karen Bess. We'll get to that. And oh, by the way, I think it probably will be better for the Trump campaign because it won't be Biden and this ideal blank slate that you can project your ideals onto. It's going to be Joe Biden and somebody else. And whether it's Kamala Harris or Susan Rice or some other figure, you know, my guess is people who are not thrilled with Trump are going to look at that and say, do I really want President Susan Rice? Do I really want President Kamala Harris? And they may jump on board with the Trump campaign. Uh, I wish we had better options this cycle, but we don't. And so I think that if you're the Trump campaign, you're looking at this, you're probably going to have a pretty good fundraising day and a pretty good uh, burst of momentum when Biden makes his pick, which could be as early
0: as today or tomorrow, or the expectation is it'll be sometime this week. Our only request is that people get to hear the podcast today before he announces because we don't know who it is as we're speaking here. Jim, you mentioned the Rasmussen poll. Uh, Yeah, 59% say they don't think he's gonna make it through his first term. But uh, in troubling news for the Trump campaign, there's still a majority, even though that fact exists, who are still planning to vote for him. So the fact that they don't think he's going to make it through his first term isn't a deal killer for a majority of Americans. No, for some people,
1: it might be a bonus.
0: <laughs> so, so we'll see what they think of this particular running mate once it's announced. Uh, Jim, we, I, I guess we will know uh, in the next day or two which person on this shortlist Joe Biden thinks has the hair that smells the best, right? I believe it was the Babylon Bee that saw a statement from Joe Biden. His pick is so close, he can smell her. All right. Well, let's talk about our great new sponsor over here at uh, Coastal. Look, uh, getting new glasses is not necessarily a fun process. I I did it last year, took a couple different cracks at it to get the fit right. It was a process and it wasn't a particularly good process. And then uh, one of my young daughter's accidentally broke them once they were finally right. So (laughs) I get to get a new pair of glasses now thanks to Coastal and the process now is really nice and especially if you don't really wanna be around a lot of people at the uh, eyeglass store. So why do all pairs of glasses look totally different on the shelf than on your face? Well, that is a problem, especially if you're trying to do it remotely, but Coastal makes it really easy. At Coastal, you can browse and virtually try on hundreds of frames without having to leave your couch. You don't even need to turn off the TV. You do you. At
1: Coastal.com, you can get prescription glasses starting at $9 with free shipping and 30-day risk-free returns. Plus, they have the most advanced virtual try-on technology that you will find anywhere. Turn your frames into sunglasses by testing out colored lens tints or finally see what a cat eye or aviator would really look like on your face. With Coastal, you don't have to spend hours at the store or hundreds of dollars. Go to Coastal.com, pick the frames you want, and see
0: how they look on you on your phone. Then enter your prescription details and order. Well, if aviators are an option, we know if Joe Biden goes to coastal, which uh, which ones he's going with. But uh, yeah, I got the chance to uh, to go through this process, and you think virtually try on glasses? How does this even work? But yeah, they just use your uh, your camera that you have in your computer. You click on the frames that you like, and then you uh, stick your face in the middle of the camera and. They appear on your face, and you can see what it's like, and, and you think, is this really going to be an accurate representation? But as I tried the different uh, frame options, I really could tell which ones are going to look the way I want them to look and which ones uh, weren't going to be what I wanted. And so then you just plug in the information on your prescription, and my glasses should be here in a couple of weeks. Looking forward to it. Coastal has over 2,000 frames to choose from and 24-hour customer support. We're talking about Newsweek's America's best customer service, the very best. You'll never waste time or money at an expensive optometrist again at Coastal.com. And now through October 31st, that's Halloween, which seems like a long way away, but it's really only two and a half months. They're offering three martini lunch listeners the best deal they have going anywhere. 50% off your first pair of glasses at Coastal.com slash martini. Get free shipping, 30-day risk-free returns, and 50% off at coastal.com slash martini, but only until October 31st. That's spelled C-O-A-S-T-A-L dot com slash martini. Some restrictions apply. All right, Jim, let's go to our first crazy martini here. And Amy McGrath barely hung on to be the Democratic nominee for U.S. Senate in Kentucky. You know, this is the cycle where the Democrats are going to win in Kentucky. They're going to they're going to beat Mitch McConnell, or so they keep telling us. Uh, the polls there are all over the place. I've seen anything from McConnell by a point or two to McConnell by about 17. Based on previous six-year cycles in Kentucky, I'd lean more towards the latter. But Amy McGrath, who is you know got the decent resume as the veteran and everything, but lost pretty badly despite outspending her Republican House opponent in 2018, barely squeaked out of the primary. Uh, But now she's got tax issues, which I'm sure, Jim, Mitch McConnell won't pounce on at all in any of his ads. Uh, This is the Free Beacon. Uh, Amy McGrath was penalized for delinquent property tax payments on her Virginia home six times in five years local real estate record show. That's impressive right there. McGrath and her husband purchased a $739,000 home in Alexandria, Virginia in November 2010. According to the city's real estate assessment office, the couple was up to five months late on six semi-annual property tax payments between November 2011 and October 2016, garnering fines of about $500 for the delinquent payments. They sold the house in October 2016 so she could move back to Kentucky and run for office. So Jim... Uh, There's no tax I think that I hate more than property taxes, especially once you've actually paid off your mortgage. In my world, once you buy something, it should be yours. The government shouldn't get any more money off of that, whether it's your vehicle here in Virginia or, or your home, but maybe that's just my own personal soapbox. But nonetheless, when the left is always going after what they think might be in Trump's tax returns, or Harry Reid's ridiculously irresponsible accusations against Mitt Romney. Here we've got uh, Amy McGrath on one of the simplest taxes out there. Uh, You pay it every six months in Virginia. Not being able to fork over a check six times in five years. Quite a track record there.
1: Yeah. So here's the first thing. If you're going to run for office, make sure you have no outstanding tax liens. And it sounds like this is all in the past, but you know, first of all, just buried in there is the Amy McGrath moved to Kentucky to run for office in 2016. Right. You think, you know, like you think a longtime incumbent could make some, you know, some hay out of that, you know, some you know, just, I know it's not cocaine Mitch's style, but just picture <laughs> him saying, I oh, am a McGrath just moved here in 2016. Where's she been? She was in Virginia. She had no use for us here in Kentucky. Anyway, you know, you can get the idea. You know, the first thing is, is that you're, you're a carpetbagger. You're not really from here. You don't really understand us. Yada, yada, yada. But then the second thing is if you have something embarrassing like this, particularly if you're a Democrat and you support, you know, like just as a, a Republican who preaches family values is going to have a greater hit from uh, an adulterous affair or something like that. Well, you know, if you're a Democrat who calls for higher taxes, you really got to pay your taxes. If you haven't paid your taxes, your, your Republican opponent is going to make a lot of hay out of it. I mean, can some people get away from this, get away with this? Yes. Charlie Rangel, Tim Geithner, uh, those are just the ones I can remember off the top of my head. But by and large, beating Mitch McConnell in Kentucky is hard enough. If you've got an issue like this, then what you do is you announce your, your campaign on Monday. On Tuesday, you either put out a short statement or you do a question and answer. And you say, yes, I regret it. It was an oversight. We've paid everything that was due. But, you know, you take your lumps early in the campaign. And so by the time, you know, a month later, six weeks later, you know, closer to get to election day, you can say, look, this is an old issue. I've answered all the questions about that. I'm not talking about that any further. And you could at least, you know, you've checked the box on that. They, they can't do additional damage to you. Now, I'm sure, again, if this had been a closer race, Mitch McConnell may have wanted this to be, you know, unleashed upon people in October. Uh, but then again, you know, maybe he'll be running a lot of ads on this. Maybe he won't need to run a lot of ads on this. So, you know, we, Democrats have been convinced they're going to beat Mitch McConnell um, for, for many cycles now, and they haven't done it. And it's, you know, one of those things where after a while you kind of start hand-waving this away. Maybe this will di- year will be different. I'm not terribly, uh, I don't think it's terribly likely. But if Jamie McGrath is this, you know, super-duper candidate she kind of has an obligation to take care of this stuff. And if you have something embarrassing in your past, like you didn't pay your taxes, and oh, by the way, you're calling for higher taxes, which is never popular, then you have to say, yeah, I screwed up. I made a mistake. I've, I've taken address, And she, you know, this is not the sort of thing you want discovered by the Washington Free Beacon several months, just a couple months before Election Day. And that will probably feature heavily because then, you because then you know, now the McConnell the campaign could say, and she tried to cover it up. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Can Mitch you Mc- tell I
1: like doing Mitch McConnell?
0: <laughs> the key is to uh, pretend you're a ventriloquist and try to move your lips as little as possible and then and go as deep as possible. So, and, and of course, have no inflection in your voice. I am okay. beside myself with outrage. <laughs> I'm sorry
1: I lost my temper like that.
0: All right. Let's move on to our final crazy martini here, Jim. And let's move over to Russia. As of, well, until today, there were six vaccines that the World Health Organization said had officially reached phase three clinical trials. None of those were coming out of Russia. But today, Russian President Vladimir Putin announced the approval of a coronavirus vaccine for use, claiming it as a world first amid concerns, says CNN, and unanswered questions over its safety and effectiveness. Uh, Putin says it's been registered for the first time in the world this morning. I know that it works quite effectively. It forms a stable immunity. He says one of his daughters has taken it. She had a slightly higher temperature after each time she took it, but now she feels well. So who knows what's going on here? We do know that Russia was trying to hack into the research. So maybe they stole it and got ahead of of, uh, companies in the West. But we also see that he's saying here that it's multiple doses. So that's, that's curious. But uh, what do you make of Russia just jumping ahead of the line here saying, we won this race, it's going to be ready in October? If Russia was a normal country, imagine how happy we would be today. We'd be like, Oh, it's
1: great, wonderful. And unfortunately, no, we don't trust them for a whole bunch of reasons. Like, I, I hope this is the case. It'd be wonderful. As you mentioned, this is not something that, you know, been plugged in or that the World Health Organization had been tracking. And there's lots of reasons to not trust the Russian government. Um, also, but I guess it's worth noting, I believe the Chinese had said like months ago that they had something they were experimenting with in their military. Uh, and boy, <laughs> wouldn't you love to be the first person in line to say, what are the odds of something? Go- what, what are the odds of something going wrong in a Chinese laboratory? Right, Greg? Oh yeah. Very low. Um, look, could this, you know, uh, vaccine that Russia is touting work out? Sure. But obviously, you know, trust and verify. Um the fact that he's having his uh his daughter use it, I suppose that's meant to be reassuring. I'd be interested to see if you know what she was given, one, if she was actually given anything, two, if what she was given actually matches what they'd be giving to everybody else. Um and, you know, also this kind of the sneaking suspicion. I'm not saying I have enormous experience with uh, the Russian American community, Greg. I'm just gonna observe. Do you remember the scene in uh My Big Fat Greek Wedding where the dad is completely convinced that Windex can cure anything? Absolutely. So the whole idea of like garlic and ginger together can, can cure everything. There is quite a few Russians who would believe that Yes. I can, I can think out of this or something. Uh, look, we know Russia would love to have this kind of propaganda victory. We know they'd love to be seen as the saviors of the world. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they'll be marketing it under the slogan of brought to you by the same scientific minds who brought you Chernobyl. Um, but it's you know, there's a good reason to be skeptical of this. It would be wonderful if this was the case, but, uh, sorry, Vladimir Putin, you just don't have the credibility we're looking for uh, in this. I'm just hoping we don't get a presidential tweet congratulating him and or the president asking if hydroxychloroquine is a key ingredient.
0: (laughs) Jim, uh, I feel like this is the opposite situation of, you know, back in the day when people would punch each other over cabbage patch dolls, or (laughs) later on, it was the Tickle Me Elmo. And you know, back before you could do online shopping and avoid all that stuff. I feel like with especially this vaccine, but even whatever vaccine finally gets approved, everyone's going to be, oh, no, after you, please. <laughs> As many people have said, a lot of people would love to be the second person to take these vaccines. <laughs> you just want to see what happens
1: to the first guy. Look, you know, again, if it's coming from reliable authorities, and look, most vaccines operate on a very basic, simple concept, right? going back to cowpox and, and all that stuff. They give you some mild version of whatever it is that could ail you and your body gets familiar with it. And it develops the antibodies so that when it encounters the real thing, it's already uh, figured out how to defeat this particular pathogen or, or problem there. This is what happens with the flu vaccine. They're giving you a weak version and sometimes you'll have a reaction to that. Sometimes your body will be particularly unprepared to handle that sort of thing. Then sometimes you just have a sore arm and, and all, you know, most of the time this stuff is going to be fine. That said, I will trust American or perhaps the Oxford effort or, you know, maybe the Japanese or South Koreans or somebody is going to have a breakthrough on this. There are a whole bunch of countries that I trust. I'm like, okay, you guys have got it. Sorry, Russia. Sorry, China. And um, if North Korea says
0: they've got a cure, I'm not going to buy that one either. Jim, we will call time there for today. We'll see if Joe Biden's got a running mate by this time tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks very much for being with us today. Please don't forget about our great sponsor over at Coastal, C-O-A-S-T-A-L.com slash martini. Save 50% off your first pair of glasses at Coastal.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the 3 Martini Lunch. Leave us a kind review with five stars, please. And also, don't forget to get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. And join us on Wednesday for the next 3 Martini Lunch.